Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Azure Marketing Podcast. I'm Anthony Giuliano, and my guest this week is Jamie Hunt from Miami University. Jamie, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Well, thanks for joining me. How's everything in Oxford today? It's a beautiful day. It's been a long, dreary winter, and it's so nice to see the sunshine for the first time in what feels like forever. Given that we're recording this on a Friday, is it quiet on campus today, or is there a lot of activity? It's pretty quiet. I think part of that is because it's Good Friday, too. Like, a lot of people yeah. are going home for the weekends, and yeah. so it's pretty pretty sleepy today. I can get some stuff yeah. back. Well, enjoy that while, while it lasts, because I'm guessing you don't get, get much of that. Absolutely not. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk more about Miami University in just a few minutes, but I wanted to start by hearing a little bit about your career path. What I'd like to learn more about is what you originally thought you would be doing in a career. And for some people, that's high school. For some people, that's college. Some people are still figuring it out. But when did you start thinking about a career? What direction did that take you in? And where did you you end up pivoting if you pivoted at all? Yeah, I actually started out college as a biology major, and I wanted to go into the lucrative field of reptile research. <laughs> and my parents were were like, there's no jobs in reptile research. Like, what are you doing with your life? But I really, really wanted to study turtles and specifically why they don't age once they reach maturity. They just sort of stay the same age. Okay. But a journalism class, and it was absolutely amazing. I loved storytelling. I was a really good writer um, growing up. And so that was like, yes, this is what I want to do with my life. I love this. And so I was a working journalist for about four and a half years. And I was living in Minneapolis, which is kind of an expensive city to live. And journalism does not pay that well. So I decided to try doing um, public relations and I took a job at a, at a small private university in Minnesota, Northwestern Health Sciences University, doing PR. And I absolutely loved it. I fell in love with working in higher ed. I am a first-generation college graduate, so um, I know how much a higher education degree can change your life and can change the tra- trajectory of your life. And I just love the energy of students and the, the way that they're on that cusp of their own futures. Um, But I started out doing PR and editing an alumni magazine, and then I went to UW Oshkosh, which is a University of Wisconsin school, and I was their news director, but five days in, the marketing director quit, and they asked if I could fill in for a little while, and I ended up filling in for the entire time that I worked there. So, (laughs) um, So for the next three years, I did that, and I decided I really enjoyed marketing, that that was, I loved PR. I loved being a media relations person, but I loved how marketing has that art and science mm-hmm. to it. It mixes those two parts of what I love to do together. So I went and got a master's in integrated marketing communications at West Virginia University and have continued in, in that trajectory. Doing It's great to have both the media relations and news director background Um, and issues in reputation management, but also to have that expertise in marketing and branding as well. So I absolutely love marketing. And I think that I'm grateful for that person who quit on my fifth day because I'm not sure I've known about it um, and fallen in love with it so quickly. But it's just the perfect blend of art and science for me. It just mixes those two things up perfectly. Sure. Well, and so you you did your bachelor's work at uh, University of Minnesota. Is that correct? I did. Yep. 
And did you grow up in that part of the world or had you come to school from somewhere else? So I grew up in Minneapolis, partly in Minneapolis. And then from the time that school let out in the summer until the day before we came back, we lived in northern Minnesota. Um, okay. I had a cabin up there. So okay. we spent a lot of time up there, but I am from Minneapolis. All right. Okay. So when you were all of a sudden in the marketing director position, was that intimidating? Did you adapt pretty well? Did you Were you fearful when that request was first made or did you, you were pretty confident you could do it? So I was at that point in my career where I, I kind of was ready to start spreading my wings a little bit and try new things. And it started out sort of that frog in boiling water metaphor where it was like, well, can you do some copywriting for this brochure? And like, yeah. sure, I can do copywriting. And then it just kept evolving. Um, and I learned so much from the person that I worked for there in what's important in good marketing I learned about, you know, having a strong call to action. I learned about audience segmentation. And so I think it would have been a little bit more daunting if I hadn't been slowly boiling in the pot yeah. versus like, <laughs> yeah. the boiling yeah. water, jump in. Um, that gave me the chance to explore it and learn while I was going. Yeah. Well, we've covered reptiles and amphibians, so we'll cover all the, all the different species by the time we're done. Um, and it's, well, I think it's helpful. I have a, a different background, but did a lot of things before I was in a management position. And it's helpful to be able to speak a little bit of the language of the people you're working with. Um, it's it's good to surround yourself with a team of practitioners who are better at it than you are. But when you have some working knowledge, I'm sure that benefits you in working with your team. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So how did you end up at Miami University? What was the change that you made and, and why was the position appealing to you and, and how did it come that you were found yourself in Oxford? Yeah, so I was most recently at Winston-Salem State University, in the, which is part of the University of North Carolina system as their vice chancellor and chief marketing officer. And um, when the search firm contacted me about the Miami position, it was in May or March, right after we all got sent home, March 2020. Yeah. Like, yeah. hey, there's a pandemic. And I told the search firm, I'm not going to move anywhere. We're in a pandemic. Did you miss the memo? Um, <laughs> and they said, yeah. like, yes, just we think you'd be great for this. Um, please at least put your hat in the ring. And so I waited. The deadline was May 15th or something like that. And I waited until the day before. And I, I submitted my stuff. And got a call and interviewed. I'd been familiar with Miami, but I just didn't know that this was the right time to uproot everything and move. Um, but when I met with President Crawford and the members of his executive cabinet, I knew that it was a team I wanted to be on. Um, he has picked a bunch of really quirky, authentic people who are weirdos in the best possible way. Yeah. And there's no stuffed shirts in that room. There's no backstabbing in the room. Like It's a very, very um, caring and supportive group. And I tell people all the time that that's what, what sold me is yep. being able to be a part of something like that. Yeah, well, I just had this conversation with a podcast guest recently. We were talking about the fact that we don't so much 
we don't so much take jobs as we decide to work with the people who are there. Um, and sometimes we decide to not work with the people who are somewhere, but it sounds like the people were a big draw, as as I would imagine the brand is, because Miami University is one of the most prestigious institutions in the country. Um, it has a, a reputation that is, you know, very good, but still probably underappreciated in some corners. Um, tell us a little bit, when you describe Miami University to people, what do you say about the institution? How do you define it? So we talk a lot about being a public Ivy and what that means. So we attract, I think, our country's best and brightest students who get to learn in a liberal arts environment where they're getting the opportunity to work really, really closely with their faculty. Even though we're a fairly large school, there's a, a close connection with faculty, mentorship, research, things like that. But we also have this sort of extra little flavor that not a lot of colleges have where entrepreneurship is really woven into our curriculum. And we know that um, students, whether you're going to graduate and start a business or work for a business, having an entrepreneurial spirit is really, really beneficial to a student. And that's something that we have flavored throughout our curriculum. And we also have the ability for students to major across colleges. So you can get a ballet dancing mathematician who teaches um, elementary school kids, or, you know, you can be whatever you want to be at Miami. You don't have to pick. I could have probably been, if I'd gone to Miami, a turtle researching journalist, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's just so great for our students to have the opportunity to create um, programs that give them the flexibility to do what they want with life. Well, it sounds like it's a great fit. I know you serve students of all ages, but it sounds like it's a great fit for younger students who don't really like to be defined in one way. They they have Etsy shops, they have bands, they have side gigs. So that ability to kind of have a slash in the programs they're studying, I'm sure is beneficial. How How is Miami dealing with some of the challenges in higher ed right now? You're obviously very well positioned as a prestigious brand, but every institution has challenges in terms of um, just the national conversation about the value of college and ROI. How are you responding to that? What are some of the things you're doing to, to help Miami stand out? Yeah, we have to do a lot of work on helping students and their families understand the value, not just of higher education, but specifically of a Miami University degree. A lot of our competitors, and, and when I say competitors, I mean the schools that students who apply here, if they don't go here, where do they go? Um, a lot of those schools are Power Five, really big um, flagship schools. And so it's more talking about the type of experience that you'll have at Miami and how that will set you up for life, that you will have connections that you can build that you would not be able to at a school with 40, 50,000 students. But you still have the, because we're about 22,000 students, you still have the depth of programming available. We also talk a lot about how a liberal education prepares you for whatever is next in life. And it's not just um, giving you professional skills, but it's giving you the ability to be a leader, um, have confidence in who you are, um, make difficult choices, analyze information. Today's media landscape, it's important for people to have media um, savvy where they can discern what's true, what's not true, um, things like that. There's definitely a demographic cliff 
uh, ahead of us, particularly in the Midwest. And and um, a, there will be a decreasing number of high school graduates in the Midwest um, starting in the next uh, three to five years. But it's helping us to think about attracting students that are have not always traditionally been drawn to Miami. Um, we're doing a, a big push to get some brand awareness among Latinx um, families because Miami is really not necessarily gone after that market before. And this gives us the chance to expand the country's to the country's largest or fastest growing demographic and help them see how a Miami education can help them achieve their dreams. Yeah. Well, and when you talk about some of those skills of uh, a liberal education, you know, it reminds me of something I've read where in an AI driven world, obviously STEM skills are going to be super important, but the thing that's going to differentiate people and organizations are going to be the human skills, leadership, communication, empathy, things that a liberal arts education prepares you very well for. So um, sounds like you've got the best of both worlds there at Miami, able to accommodate the students in the future. Um, tell me, this, this might sound like an obvious question, but why is it important to Miami that it serve a more diverse student base? Why is that a focus? So I think that having a diverse student body is really essential to prepare kids for what the world will be like. And I hate saying kids, but like, you know, I'm in my 40s. They're 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 kids to me. But um students, we need to have students from a wide range of backgrounds on our campus in order to expose the students and the all of us really to different ideas, different thoughts, different cultures, different ways of thinking about things. And students from different backgrounds, they just bring so much to the campus that it just would not be the same without them. It would not be the same without, as one of my staff says, like, you know, he drives around across campus and it's like, he sees all kinds of students. He sees nerds, he sees jocks, he sees, you know, everything in between. And that's what, that's what life is. Like you, you don't usually go through life and only intersect with people just like you. And so having a diverse student body helps prepare you for a life of being around people that aren't just the same as you and your family. Yeah, for sure. Well, speaking of working with folks and encountering people who come from all different walks of life, you've got a pretty sizable team that works with you. We've had the pleasure of working with some of them, but tell us a little bit about how the work gets done. What does your team look like? How do you make sure that all the different needs are accommodated? And what does your role focus on uh, among all those team members? So, yeah, I have a team of, if we were fully staffed, it would be around 60. Um, we have quite a few vacant positions. So if anybody's interested in a job, Miami OH study to you. Um, we, we have... It's structured with senior directors. So I'm the vice president and chief marketing officer. And then we have a senior director for marketing, a senior director who's over our new storytelling unit, which has our writers and photographers and videographers. And then we have a senior director of enrollment communication who handles the communications to our prospective students and their families. And then a senior director of um, academic marketing communications who helps market the individual academic colleges and divisions. And we have centralized communications in a lot of ways at Miami. So we've moved um, the communicators that used to be in each of the individual colleges within our central office 
Because a lot of times those folks have had to be Swiss army knives. They're a shop of one or a shop of two. And it's impossible to have that depth of expertise in digital marketing or in social media marketing or enrollment marketing, all of those things. They've had to be Swiss army knives and we're bringing them into the folds. They can give us what they know about their colleges, but give we can give them, here's some expertise that is deep and can be really helpful to you and help them be more successful at achieving their their goals. Yeah, well, given the complexity of what marketing has become, I think it's critical to have specialists. Um, you know, I I say only somewhat jokingly that I'm one of the last generalists at Asher. Where everybody else just does one thing, um, but you really need that expertise because it, it is so technical. It can be so complex and there's so much of a need to focus and continue to learn as as the world changes. Do you see that with your team as well? Yeah, absolutely. I think that I'm probably one of the only generalists on my team in a lot of ways, um, in part because I have to be able to speak intelligently about all the, the various areas. But definitely staying on top of digital marketing or staying on top of what's happening in social media, um, even email best practices, all of those things change so fast. You have to have somebody who's just committed to staying on top of those channels and learning algorithms and what is going on and what are we going to do in a cookie-less world and all of that um, to keep their expertise fresh. Sure. Well, speaking of that, there's another facet of your work I'd like to hear a little bit about, and that's your role with Forbes. Um, Tell us a little bit about what it means to be part of the Forbes Communication Council. What does that entail and, and what's that experience been like? Yeah, it's been great. Um, our our president started out as a member of the Forbes Business Council, and he nominated me for the Forbes Communications Council. And it's a great opportunity to network with other um, CMOs across the country in all industries um, to have uh, conversations with them. There's a, a like a chat like um, discussion board, but also to have the opportunity to write articles that then appear on the Forbes website. I'm really using those opportunities to give some tips, some pointers, things like that to marketers, um, and then share share those out on my social channels to hopefully get a, as many people meeting them as possible to hopefully learn something. Um, yeah. And when you have a when you have a deadline, it kind of forces you to stay current on what's happening in the world. So that's great. Absolutely. Those President Crawford wrote um, very ambitious uh, thought leadership goals into my performance plan for the year. And I that certainly keeps me honest. Yeah, <laughs> I have to write sure. a lot. For sure. Well, um, tell me a little bit about some of the other things you've mentioned, some things that are important to you, some of the priorities you're working on. What are some of the things at the top of the list for you and your team, things that are keeping you up at night, making you excited, or maybe a combination of those things? Some of the things on the horizon for us, um, we just launched with Asher, our multicultural marketing campaign. That's a big step forward for Miami. It's our first multicultural campaign. Um, We're really excited to be able to tell our story to Latinx and African-American students and their families in Ohio. Um, Really hoping we'll be able to expand that in current years. Um, I think every institution of higher ed is always in some phase of a website redesign and we're no we're no different we're we're in the midst of that as well and then when I came on board they had done a lot of brand research but we hadn't really codified that or 
rolled out like a campaign platform yet. So we're in the process of finalizing our campaign platform and we'll be doing for the first time in at least seven years, some brand advertising um, to raise more awareness of who Miami is and what we have to offer. We have such a strong reputation and we're such an amazing school, but we've been a little quiet lately outside of Ohio in terms of telling the Miami story and and we need to change that. We need to make people understand who Miami is and how our story can help people um, achieve their stories. Yeah, well, and, and differentiation is so important in higher ed because there's a lot of institutions who sound somewhat the same. Um, so really, it's a huge challenge and difficult, but uh, uh, I, I, it sounds like you, you've done a lot of work leading up to that that will lead to really good things. Well, I, I want to pivot to the speed round of the show with three quick questions. They, they don't have to be quick answers, but three quick questions that reflect some of the things we've discussed. Um, Jamie, you've had a really successful career. You've actually had two successful careers. When you think about what it takes to be successful, to be fulfilled in a career, whether you were talking to a student at Miami or someone who might want to get started in a higher education career, what's your best piece of advice on career success? I think it's that daily commitment. Um, It can be very, very daunting to try to think about moving something forward every single day, like it's easy to just do the work that's assigned to you or to do what's on your to-do list, but you have to every single day be doing something that moves yourself forward if that's what your ambition is. And so you need to invest in yourself on a daily basis, whether that's I'm going to read one industry publication a day, I'm going to listen to one podcast. Um, All of that investment in yourself it pays off for you. It pays off for your employer. Um, you're staying on top of things. And that's that's my number one recommendation for people. Don't let yourself get um, so distracted by just your to-do list that you forget to keep learning. Yeah. Well, and it's it's hard to see the value in that because you only make incremental progress progress day to day. How do you stay motivated knowing that you're moving forward a little bit every day? What keeps you motivated to think long term? You really have to build a habit. It has to become just part of your routine so that it feels weird to not do it. It feels like it's almost like having a cigarette. Like you just, when you step outside, your fingers just want to have a cigarette. It has to be If you do it first thing in the morning, it has to be every time you sit in your desk for the first time in the morning, you're just habitually drawn to doing this, this action um, that helps you drive forward. Yeah. So like anything else takes practice. Yeah. All right. Great answer. So let's talk about Miami University. Aside from (laughs) reminding people that it's not the institution in Florida, (laughs) what would you want people to know? Something that maybe is underappreciated or a misconception you'd like to clear up? Well, I was going to say that we're not in Florida. (laughs) I think it's one of our biggest branding challenges, to be honest. But I think one of the things that I think I would love for people to understand about Miami is that we have this fantastic reputation um, and we have this great, really bright student body. But I think sometimes people self-select from applying. They maybe think my 3.75 GPA is not going to be good enough to get into Miami, so I'm not going to try. But I think, like, put it out there. 
you know, the yeah. Miami education is so worth the effort that you put into it. And it's so, it's so valuable that at least try, you owe it to yourself to at least um, try to get in and you might be surprised. Um, we do have pathways programs for students who um, maybe aren't the class valedictorian um, where you can come and start um, taking classes from our regional campuses and transfer in. And our regional classes are just as good, just as strong, um, really great professors. So I think I think if there's one thing I could change about our brand, it's that um, I think some people are intimidated and and don't feel like, well, I don't belong here because the average student has such a high GPA, but we really want everybody. We, we think of Miami education um, is beneficial for everybody. Yeah, well, and it lines up really well with what you said about diversity because there's different types of skills incoming students can bring. And a lot of institutions are looking a little differently at, at academics. And obviously you have to show something that points towards your abilities, but that can come in a lot of different forms. It could be athletics. It could be volunteer work. It could be a passion about a given topic. It could be a personal history. So I applaud Miami for looking beyond just the GPA. That's great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. One last question for you. And this is the one that I think is sometimes most difficult for people because we sometimes take for granted the stuff that we do every day. But what's a tip or a trick or a tool that you use in your work that you think people should know about? It could be something real simple. Uh, it could be something, a technology tool. What What is it for you? So this is going to sound weird and it's probably not the kind of answer that everybody gives you, but my tip is actually around um, how you feel when you're interacting with people. So I, I tell people um, defensiveness is an enemy. And when you, and it's also a, it tells you something. So if you're in an interaction with somebody and you feel yourself getting defensive, pause, think internally, why do I feel defensive about this? A lot of times it's because there's a grain of truth to what the person's saying and you don't want to acknowledge that. But I think once you're able to let go of being defensive, whether that's defensive of your work, you're, you're anxious about feedback, um, you don't want to collaborate with other people because you don't want, you're afraid that they might not want to do exactly what you want to do. But once you can kind of shut down that defensiveness circuit, you'll start to crave feedback. You'll start to feel totally comfortable saying, I don't know about this. Can you fill me in? Tell me, I feel like I don't understand this concept. Can you tell me what this concept is? Once you get rid of that, that fear, that defensiveness, that anxiety, suddenly you're going to be learning and growing and developing as a professional and doing better and better work. And I will say there's nothing else in my career that has propelled me forward as much as getting rid of that. Yeah, that's great. Well, I would imagine that's especially difficult to do at an institution like Miami, where you're surrounded by phenomenally smart people. <laughs> so maybe leverage their intelligence a little bit more by admitting when you don't know and when you when there's potential for a better answer. Exactly. And I think I'm lucky that I cultivated this at my last institution. So I did uh, <laughs> yeah. come here and learn that because now I just crave feedback and input because um, I don't have all the answers. And the sooner you can recognize that you don't have all the answers, the more you're going to actually learn and get more answers. You'll, yeah. you'll grow so much if you can get rid of that fear. 
Well, and it's so critical when you're working with a team of any size, but certainly the size of your team, to empower them to take the lead because you can't do it all and you certainly can't get all the work done on your own. No, absolutely not. I, I've The past several months, I think I've worked more hours in my in the last couple of months than I have in my entire career, but I need to empower people. I hire well and I want them to feel um, empowered and like they can make decisions. And I think sometimes people fall into, I'm nervous about making a decision. So I'm going to say, Jamie needs to weigh in on this. I'm trying to help people see, like, I don't have to weigh in on every single thing. As long as you understand my vision and where we're trying to go, we're going to be fine. Yeah. Well, speaking of how busy you are, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. We are thrilled to play a small part in the Miami story and working with your team. So thank you very much. And thanks for being part of our podcast. I'm I'm happy to. And it's been a pleasure working with you guys. We're, We're very happy with the partnership. Well, great. Well, thank you. And thanks to everyone who took the opportunity to listen to this episode of the Azure Marketing Podcast. We'll be back next week with another great guest and we'll see you then.